Welcome to the Compassion Club podcast. My name's Scott. This is Sam. And this is our second podcast for the Compassion Club podcast. This week, we had a few different topics we discussed. What did we talk about? We talked about quite a few things today, Scott, didn't we? We, we had a little bit of a check-in on what we're doing and what we're reading and what's inspiring us at the moment. Yes, that kind of turned into a conversation about judgment, first of all. And then we talked a little bit about a great book um, that can help you deal with idiots. <laughs> and we, we talked a little bit about owning your anger, yes. didn't we? Yes, that's um, right. We've both been dealing with people displaying poor behaviour in the last week or so. We really need to find our way through that process. You had a great story about the power of the humble raisin. Yes. And we touched on mindful eating a little bit. And how you can bring mindfulness to your everyday life through simple activities like washing up. Yes, you talked about washing up. Um, And then I shared with you a little bit about that great new drop-in meditation centre I found in Sydney CBD. Yes. We talked about detachment or not being invested in things as they happen. And we also talked about kind of owning your anger, I guess. Yeah. So I I really enjoyed it. It was a great conversation. A very diverse conversation. We hope you enjoy it. So stay tuned and listen to our great conversation about those things. And thanks for listening. Right, so the first thing we're going to talk about today is a great suggestion of yours. What things are you into at the moment? That sounds great, Scott. Do you want me to go first? or You go first, and I'm going to jump in, and then I'll go with my stuff too. Okay, so I guess a few things happening for me at the moment. Um, I've always got a few different books on the go. Yeah. Um, one that I found myself really going back to this week um, is Lean In by Sheryl Sandberg. Um, and I've had a really, really tough week um, working in insurance, dealing with challenging stakeholders and we've had a lot of really tough meetings um uh, such that a few nights i've not even been able to get to sleep because i've just been you know doing that thing that you do at the end of the day where you like overanalyze every discussion and every Mm. meeting you had and think about if i'd said this would it turned out differently and i randomly just opened my kindle and her book just kind of opened up and i thought oh i've read this before but maybe I'm meant to just have a look at this for a reason. And the page it opened on was all about, I guess, not really giving a damn mm. about people's opinion of you. Mm. And it was really what I needed to read wow. at that moment in time. And it was, I guess, the what she was actually trying to explain was that women in particular, we really care about people's opinion of us. Yes. And that women care in general more about being liked than being successful. Mm-hmm. And that this is one of our downfalls. Mm. Um and that was just really what I needed to hear in that mm. moment. And so I've really been enjoying going through her book again. And it's not that I don't want people to like me, because I think that's something I do struggle with. And yes. um, when you have a high degree of empathy, you're always, I guess, really trying to look for validation from mm. people. Mm. Um, but it just gave me that courage and confidence to just sort of hold my own ground this week and just actually to think, look, you're doing the right thing. You're on your path. You can be respectful about what you need to do and what you need to say in this meeting. But if people choose not to like you, that's really up to them. So that's one of the things I've really been enjoying. That's really um, good. And then the other thing that I sort of discovered on this week was really exciting. It was a really groovy um, meditation centre that I found in the middle of Sydney CBD in Hunter Street called Centred Meditation. Um, and again, I was just um, looking something up on the internet for work and I had this compulsion to just Google meditation and Sydney CBD 
and I don't know why I had that compulsion but I did and then their website came up and I found that you know a few roads from where I work is this really cool very small studio where they've got like really comfortable armchairs blankets cushions and they run half an hour meditation classes at lunchtime and and whilst where I work I'm actually teaching meditation it's always nice as a teacher to find somewhere you can go to meditate yourself Uh, so I've been to two of their classes in their space this week Um, it's run by a couple of people called Kevin and Nikki who maybe will tell their story maybe we can get them on the show one time but just people, I guess, a bit like me, who've had a really difficult time working in corporate, have, have had, you know, first-hand experience of stress and found meditation. Um, it's really changed their life. They've decided to make a business venture of it, and they've created this beautiful little oasis right in the heart of centre. Wow. Um, sorry, I got my words a bit wrong there. In the centre of Sydney. And they just do half an hour classes. So it's guided meditation. Um, it's really relaxing. So... That really helped me keep going this week when I've worked some, you know, 15, 15 hour days mm. for five days this week. It's been really tough. That's so a lot. it was great. So it's really nice wow. to see that meditation's becoming a lot more mainstream mm. and that these little places are popping up. Mm. So And you said a lot of people are going along, like the classes yeah. are quite full, right? Yeah, like when I went, I think they had about 20 people in both classes. So it's pretty popular. Wow. Um, they've got a great app um, mm. that you. Um, can oh, can use. Book yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's called Centered Meditation. So. And that's centered as in in the center, not centered as in I yeah. smell nice. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. So that's about me. What have you been up to this uh, week, Scott? And I guess so, mm. you're always listening to something or yes. reading something or yes. going somewhere. So what have you found out since I last saw you? So <laughs> um, I've been listening to two books or rather have listened to two. The first one was Blink by Mal- Malcolm Gladwell. <laughs> I love the way that we're listening to books. Oh, yeah, totally validated that <laughs> listening is is better and more efficient than, than actually reading. Um, and now I've, I'm of an age where it's hard for me to read sometimes without glasses. So mm-hmm. listening is, I can use my idle time. Um, but I really, really enjoyed Blink um, by Malcolm Gladwell, which was uh, the principle of thin slicing about our initial feelings about things often can be right and trying to use our gut instinct to, to be able to make assessments of things very, very quickly. And um, some of the lessons I sort of took away from it, I've really been able to inject into the mindfulness and the meditation classes and the particularly um, in the mindfulness classes that I was running where we talked about emotional intelligence and you might know already know this story um, about uh, malpractice doctors or malpractice suits in the States. Do you mm-hmm. know about this? No, I don't no. know about this. Tell so, me more. Um, so a whole bunch of research was done about why people bring about malpractice suits against surgeons. And of course, the, the number one criteria is that you had an operation and something went wrong. But there was a, a secondary part that every person that had had an operation go wrong didn't always sue for malpractice. And when they dug a bit deeper, they found that the attitude of the doctor made all the difference. So, and, and they categorically were able to say doctors that showed no respect or empathy or care for their patients, those patients that had had something go wrong um, invariably wanted to uh, sue immediately without question. They felt that they'd... Um, you know, been done hard by, uh, hardly done by, and it was really down to um, the doctor's attitude. Whereas doctors that were very kind and caring and had also done something wrong, there were p- patients saying, I love this doctor. There is no way I would ever sue, th- sue them. They care about me. I love them. Never, ever sue them. Wow. And I thought, wow, what an amazing experience. A great example of how, you know, um, emotional intelligence 
uh, makes such a tremendous difference to people's attitudes, even when it came down to their own personal, um, you know, safety or, or you know, obviously something physically had gone wrong during the operation. But such a great example. That book I really, really enjoyed. Mm. I've also actually read that book. I, I thought you had, old school. Yeah. I've got I've got the book on my bookcase. Um, the Proper day, reading. The days before Audible. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, a few things I really took away from that. The other one I'm listening to now is Travis Bradbury's uh, Emotional Intelligence 2.0. Um, and is there a 1.0? Well, there's not, but I think <laughs> the premise here is that Travis Bradbury has taken what was the initial emotional intelligence before Daniel Goleman and his successful book, Emotional Intelligence, you know, back in 1996. This is sort of the evolution of it. Now, I'm not very far into it. I'm yet to decide how I feel about it. It still uses Daniel Goleman's model with the four principles of emotional intelligence, you know, self-awareness and so on and so forth through social awareness and whatnot. Um, but the thing that I found a little bit off-putting, but it's only early days, but I kind of find it funny, is that in the beginning they talk about for each of the, um, the components of uh, emotional intelligence, um, they would give examples of people that had very high social awareness, for example, and they would give them a rating out of 100 and say, um, Sam had a rating of 95 out of 100, and this is what people say about Sam. And the guy who's narrating the book would put on different voices for the different <laughs> people that were supposed to be giving feedback about Sam. And some of those accents were really, really extreme. <laughs> it's a little bit off-putting, but that's kind of fun. But I'm quite enjoying that book. I think it's a really practical way for people to uh, self-assess. So they actually, you actually get a test that you can do online, mm. and then they give you some sort of... It's a, he says it's the only true um, assessment test for emotional intelligence that gives you a guidebook to work through what steps you can take to obviously increase your emotional intelligence. So I've quite enjoyed that. So, But like I said, I'm only about probably a quarter of the way through that so far. So more listening to go. So the third thing is about a, just a topic personally that I've been giving a lot of thought to recently, and it's about judgment. And it was born out of a couple of things. Um, I've had some challenging weeks at work like you, but for different reasons. And it was not dissimilar to what you talk about in terms of how other people, how you perceive other people, how they perceive you, and you not giving a damn. Um, for me, it was very much about that as well, and some bad behaviours being demonstrated around me. And it was very easy to get sucked into those, particularly when it's senior people that are demonstrating those bad behaviours. And I realised, maybe pragmatically, that getting too caught up in what is going, the drama that's occurring for them, just distracts you from what the thing, the things that you should be doing. So it was kind of practical for me where I went. I'm just not going to be sucked into that behaviour. Mm-hmm. And, and then it, obviously the, the next question is, how am I facilitating that poor behaviour in me? So if they're having a bad day and they're losing it and getting cross with everybody, what then happens to me? What judgments am I making about my behaviour and my performance and those sort of things that are dragging me down because I'm thinking, oh, you're not doing a good enough job, you should be trying harder, why aren't you doing the right thing? which are all at the end judgments, right? And like you said, not giving a damn. And so for me, it became very much a case of, hang on a second, these are not useful thoughts. Mm. And clearly... Because it's almost like you've got judgment on your judgment. Correct. <laughs> yes, you're absolutely right. The moment that I recognised that I was judging myself, then I'd go, oh man, what's wrong with you? You should know better than this. You Now you're judging yourself for that. And yeah, absolutely. It was this sort of never-ending spiral. And while it wasn't dramatic and overwhelming for me, I definitely took another step in the right direction where I went, no, I'm not going to fall into that behaviour, at least I'm going to try and be more aware and try and avoid that judgement process and just stay true to what I think is the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm often reminded, 
and I think I might have shared this story with you uh, about the Buddha. Um, he's giving a, a, a talk on a, on a hill. And there's all these people surrounding him and he's talking about all these great ideas. And there's a guy who's off in the corner and he's yelling out to the Buddha and he's going, you don't know what you're talking about. This is all rubbish. You shouldn't be listening to him. And the Buddha ignores him and he continues on. And eventually the Buddha turns around and he says, I can see that you're upset, but I want to ask you one question. The guy goes, what is it? <laughs> and he says, if it's my birthday and you give me a present and I choose not to accept it, who's the owner of the present? And the guy thinks for a second, then he says, well, I guess I am. And he says, that's right. And that's exactly the way it is with your anger. I choose not to accept it. It's yours to deal with. This is not my problem. And I kind of thought, no, that's the model I'm going to try and aspire to. So I think that's been pretty good. You know, I think I've managed to avoid the judgment and remain reasonably positive in the face of some bad behavior and also accept that that bad behavior is somebody else's bad behavior and that I can make the decision about whether it influences or changes me or how I choose to respond to that. That's really, it's really funny that, well, not funny that you've obviously had that experience because mm. it sounds like you've had a bit of a tough week like I have, but your story that you just shared there around the ownership of that anger and yes. that judgment, it reminds me of a time when I was studying with the Hare Krishnas and um, I was working in the kitchens and my job was to cut carrots and um, that, that was all I was allowed to do. There was no other vegetables that at that time I was allowed to work on and they had a very specific way that they liked their carrots to be cut and you had to kind of bless you know, the vegetable and, and say a little prayer and, and cut in a certain direction and, and, you know, you're meditating as you're yeah. doing it and it was really lovely but I'd come pretty much straight out of like a week of working in corporate and I'd gone down to volunteer on the weekend and I was feeling like pretty angry about quite a few things and I was perhaps not really following all the values that they wanted me to when I was cutting these carrots and I was getting quite angry because, you know, I had about 10 kilos of carrots to cut and I just kind of kept looking at these all these carrots I had to cut up and thinking, why did I come, you know, and I was just mindlessly... Um, and then one of the monks just kind of pulled me to one side and... I said, you know, come on, let's have a little little bit of a chat over there. So he sort of went and sat down and he made me some ginger tea. And he said, like, I want to tell you a story about oranges. And I, I remember thinking, what is the deal with these people and oranges? Like, you know, you're wearing orange robes and cutting carrots. And now you want to talk to me about oranges. And I hate the colour orange. <laughs> and he said, you know, when you think about anger, he said, you know, he said, what happens... Um, when you squeeze an orange <laughs> and I said well, you get orange juice <laughs> yeah. and he said so what happens when you squeeze you <laughs> he said all that anger or happiness or whatever that's inside you comes out and he said at the moment you think that the world owes you and <laughs> mm. um, and people are squeezing you and pushing your buttons and that's all coming out and he said do you think it isn't your problem but it is and I remember that analogy being like really, at the time, I remember being quite annoyed that this guy sort of told me this because perhaps I wasn't ready to hear it. But now I can kind of look back and reflect on that. And, I, and sometimes I remember that when I'm really annoyed one day or I'm a bit snappy and it's I just think it isn't actually the other person. All that stuff is in me. They're just pushing the button. They're just squeezing me a little bit. But whatever's inside me is coming out. That that isn't anything to do with them. And mm. I think so often when we run into you know a difficult situation with someone, we can tend to project all our own stuff back onto them just because they've triggered us a little bit. So 
The answer's always go and work on yourself, isn't it? If you read any kind of Buddhist materials, I've got this really great book. Um, I'll put the link in our show notes, but it's called What, the, what, Buddha, what Would Buddha Do at Work? Uh-huh. And there's actually another book called What Would Buddha Do? And I really recommend it for anyone that works in corporate. Each page um, is designed for a separate scenario at work. So there's actually a, a, a scenario that says, how would the Buddha deal with idiots? And I, <laughs> and I read that page quite regularly. And he, and he basically just sort of says, you know, go and check yourself. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, whatever the scenario is, it's always something you need to do. Mm. It's never what the other person, the, the, the situation is, you know, always within your control. It's always how you respond to it. Um, so That's I thought that tremendous. was, yeah. and uh, to that point, you know, my team were worked some really, really killer hours this week, and I wanted to try and do something nice to try and, you know, say thank you. And I didn't have a massive budget, so um, I went to OfficeWorks and I printed up some photos, um, and I basically downloaded from Pinterest lots of motivated quotes, and just printed them out as photos. So it was really very you know, inexpensive to do. And then I wrote them all a little note on the back of the photo and just left it on the desk with a little chocolate. And I gave one photo to a lady and it said, forgive them even if they're not sorry. Mm. And then we had a little bit of a team huddle around, you know, sometimes people are not going to behave in the way we want them to and it's not going to go our way. And, you know, if we can show up and be compassionate, even if they're not sorry, especially if they're not sorry, then we've done everything we can within our control mm. to try and, um, I guess, you know, lead to the best outcome. But Brené Brown, she's got a lovely little six-minute talk on judgment. Maybe we'll put the video mm. link in the show notes. And she says, you know, we all love judgment so much. Mm. It's it's so fun to do, isn't it? You know, oh, look at her hair. Look at his trousers. Oh, my God, what was he thinking with that tie? Like... It's judgment is something that's so natural for us mm. and so fun that it can be really hard to kind of break that cycle. Mm. And I think people always surprise you. And I sort of pride myself on having really good, I guess, gut impressions about people. Mm. And the first impression that I have with someone, I, I sort of think I'm quite a good judge of character. And that's really helpful in interviewing scenarios and things like that. But even people, you know, I've got some people that I work with um, and that work around me that I would describe as sort of challenging characters who are not, you know, not very open to concepts of meditation, emotional intelligence, motivation, those kinds of things. And I just had a few people really surprise me this week who actually came to me and said, look, your team are working really hard, they're working really long hours, but everyone's smiling. Mm. What are you doing? What what are you doing? What tell me about it? I need to know wh- what you're giving these people, what you're doing to them, and uh, let me in on the secret. And yeah. um, and when I sort of said, well, look, some of it is just you know that we do practice meditation here, and I think that just does help with resilience in the workplace. But it's about understanding the people that you work with and what drives them, and and looking after them, and thinking of thinking of your you know your workplace as a community, and my team are like my family, and checking in with people and saying hello and I said there's it's not one big thing that just makes a happy culture it's a series of little tiny micro you know adjustments throughout the day mm. and he, and he said you know well can I can I join one of your team meetings can I can I start observing some of this so I said sure and I, I was just so surprised because I'd 
I guess long ago wrote that person off as someone that you know not that I didn't want to associate with them but I just thought that's someone that's perhaps not on my wavelength mm. and isn't really aligned to what you know I'm trying to bring and roll out and people can always surprise you mm. um, it's nice to know isn't it yeah and I think it really speaks well that my personal opinion is with anything to do with meditation and mindfulness the first way to promote it is to you have to be the embodiment of it mm. you have to live it every day mm. and you can demonstrate that you know it's not talk it is action and I think when you've got outside people they probably need that help the most mm. they when they come to that realization you're that living embodiment you know I always think mm. of it as a bodhisattva you know a teacher in the world uh, that they can come to and because even though I haven't had experiences that radical where I've had somebody who was maybe so dead set against what I was promoting but people that I never would have expected to come up and ask me about it or certainly at my work where I'm running mindfulness um, the people that I would have least expected to be involved with the ones that seem to be the most enthusiastic and getting the most out of it Mm -hmm. and it's great to be surprised in that way and I think obviously as teachers or people that are promoting Mm -hmm. meditation and mindfulness it's so rewarding in that way to go oh and for me and I think for you they're the people who I most want to touch, you know, mm. the most want to be involved with because even though I want everybody to learn, the people that are willing, they've already started mm. that journey. It's the people that mm. not have no awareness or have a prejudice against it or a, uh, some sort of perception of what it might be but not mm. truly understanding. They're the ones you want to crack. Mm. And it sounds like you did it. What a great outcome for you. Mm. It's been such an interesting... Oh, yeah, and thanks, Scott. I think, you know, even last night I worked so late I got a cab home. And I thought, wow, well, you know. What time did you work to? About 11.30 p.m. Oh, and I got in about 7.30 a.m. So it was a very long day. And um, yeah, I was very mindful that I was working a long day. <laughs> um, but it's year end, and, and hey, you know, this happens to the mm. best of us. You mm. know, sometimes mindfulness and meditation doesn't make us immune to True. unbalanced workloads. Yeah. and. Uh, people phoning in sick and mm. you know things happen and we have to shift and adjust can um, I just interrupt and say <laughs> but I think that you know the secret for you is despite that not being the way that you want it to be you know both you and your team managed to pull together in a really supportive and positive way mm. and and despite the fact that you know you don't want to be there you still make it okay to be there and that everybody's nobody's resentful for it and mm. we're in this together I think that's demonstration of tremendous mm. leadership because I don't think you get that level of leadership and commitment from people unless you're able to inspire them and mm. bring them together in a really positive way which is a skill you know in both of our corporate lives that you so rarely see mm. I'm not trying to just butter you up it's the <laughs> truth you know no it's true and I think you know that that's a great living, living example mm. of all the things that we talk about I mean I'm lucky I've got such a fantastic team they they are just amazing and I guess they're my true teachers you know, mm. you, you sort of, when you study meditation and mindfulness, you, you come across a lot of teachers on your path. But mm. I think the real teachers for me are the people that I work with and the people that I encounter in, you know, on, in my cab on the way home. Um, my taxi driver last night, I, I always make a point of whenever I go into a shop or I get into a cab, I just say, how are you? Mm. You know, how, how are you going today? And this guy goes... Well, um, it's nearly 11.30 and you're the first person today that's actually asked me how I am and I'm nearly at the end of my 12-hour shift. He goes, so thanks, I'm, I've had a really bad day. And 
And we had this nightmare journey home because there was a fire on the bridge and then there was roadworks and it, it took twice as long to get home as, as I thought it would. But I had such a beautiful, heartfelt conversation with this guy and I really didn't do anything apart from hold the space. I, ju- I just listened and asked a few questions and and this guy was great and he was just saying, look, I'm, I'm a cab driver, people think I've got the easiest job in the world. And he said, it's just so stressful. You know, I have to deal with traffic, I have to deal with police, I have to deal with weather, I have to deal with people who are drunk, I have to deal with, like, failed credit card payments. People, you know, want me to be able to transport them somewhere miraculously in five minutes when they're running late. And he said, it's really quite a stressful job. And um, he said, I've started doing this thing, you haven't probably haven't heard of it, called meditation. And and it just brought such a smile to my face. And I didn't jump in like perhaps I normally would and go, actually, I teach meditation. Yeah. And I, I just sort of held back a little bit. And mm-hmm. I just really enjoyed hearing him explain how it was really helping him to just be a bit calmer. He found that he was driving a little bit better. Um, rather than having, like, breaks where he was falling asleep, he would, like, pull over his car and just do two 20-minute, like, little guided meditations, obviously not while he was driving, like, you know, he'd pull over and park somewhere, and it, like, really changed his outlook. Mm. And he said, you know, we just need more peace and love in the world, and he said, it's been really nice chatting to you, and he said, I'm sorry that you don't live further away, because you're here (laughs) now. And I just think you can have conversations with people anywhere, and... You know, having a mindful outlook just, I think, it opens up so many possibilities mm. for you. And it, it's been a, a week of a lot of reflection for me because I mm. think sort of the first few days of this week, like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, were really, really long, sort of sixteen-hour days, just you know, professionally fighting with people all the time. And I found myself getting quite wound up in quite a lot of the meetings. And then today, you know, my meditation. I had sort of a bit of insight into one of the people that I'm working with around why they're being so difficult. And I guess sort of earlier in the week, I was just thinking, why are they behaving like this? And I'm just trying to do my job. I'm I'm just trying to point out some improvements that you need to work on because I'm an auditor. So I kind of recommend, you know, enhancements Mm -hmm. to processes and procedures and such exciting things. And this person was really just not taking the feedback Mm -hmm. in the intention you know that it was directed which yes. was you know from a place of like improvement um you know and what i realized today that this person's actually acting from a place of fear and because they were so strong in their objection of what we were trying to ask them to do it, it came across as aggression you mm. know at the earlier in the week to the point of you know, I was actually thinking, you know, when when does aggression become harassment? That was where I was kind of thinking. Wow. And then today I thought, you know, this person, like me, is just doing their best. They're, they've got their own agenda. They've got things that they're trying to drive forward. And, and they're trying to be helpful in their own way, but perhaps they just haven't got the right skills yet. And mm. it, I really kind of saw today that they're not trying to be difficult and obstinate. They're just afraid mm. of, of what I'm asking them to do. Yeah. Um, and I think sometimes when you can, you know, sit and reflect on situations, I can now go back to that stakeholder next week with, you know, a slightly tweaked attitude and, and, a, and a different way to approach them. And, and hopefully we can get a better outcome because, you know, navigating this landscape in corporate it isn't easy, is it? No. It's not an easy path to, you know, bring compassion into the workplace sometimes because we're all trained to be... I guess 
brutal, aren't we? You know, we've, mm. we've got to do things quickly. We've got to be yes. more efficient. We've got to be tough. We can't show vulnerability. So I think if you are someone like me that is trying to encourage people to be more compassionate and kind to people and, you know, to sort of focus more on values-based leadership and authenticity... Mm. It, sometimes people just think it's namby pamby and it's you know you're, you're weak. Yes. Um, but I guess the few um, positive things that I've seen this week have renewed me to, to wow. go back next week and to keep the good fight going. It's interesting, you know. I think as you were talking about that person demonstrating <laughs> the bad behaviour, it's just like the monk said, right? It's is the orange being squashed and yeah. all the bad things coming out. I realise it's fear-based. Yeah. You know, all that aggression and frustration yeah. is all driven by that fear underneath. Yeah. But, uh, sorry. And on. in that, that book I was talking about, What Would Buddha Do at Work? And we'll get you the author's name in the show notes. Um, it, there's a few examples in the book around, like, what would the Buddha do if he had a really tough day or something like that? And, and it says, how do you know the person that is giving you the tough day isn't the Buddha in disguise? And, you wow. know, And, you know, if you're dealing with someone really, really, really ta- challenging and you're behaving badly you know the thing to think to yourself is would you behave that way if it was jesus or buddha or you know a celebrity or whoever you kind of affiliate yourself with would you still react in the same way if it wasn't just an ordinary person if it was someone that you revered would you still you know if, if the buddha was in front of you behaving really badly uh, and you knew it was the Buddha, you probably wouldn't react in the same way as if you thought it was just a supermarket checkout assistant yes. being rude to you. So Absolutely. it's always useful to kind of think, well, maybe this is a lesson that I've been given here, like a, an opportunity to try and, you know, be the better person yes. in this difficult situation. Yes. So if you get that book... It's Franz Metcalf, I think. I think like, it yes. is Franz Metcalf. Yeah. If you get that book and you, you were like me, initially it might annoy you for a few days because you were looking for answers and it would just tell you to look inside yourself. But, <laughs> but then eventually that will settle with you. Yes. And I think it's true, isn't mm. it? It's our ability to self-reflect in mm. all of those situations. They're all opportunities to discover why we, why we react in a certain way. Mm. Uh, and I often have this... It's not my idea, I'm sure... That we're all looking through at the world through the perception of our own lens, of our own experience. And it's the lens that needs to change, not the experience outside. And every opportunity, every negative one particularly, is an opportunity to learn. Um, I always think about, uh, I can't recall the name of the book. Eckhart Tolle talks about it. That's escaping me. <laughs> it might have been Stranger in a Strange Land by Robert Heinlein. In it, there are birds that continually say, wake up, wake up, wake up. And it's really uh, about waking up to the present moment and being entirely aware of what's happening right now. Mm. And I think about things like anxiety, worry, fear. They're the same clarion call to remind you to wake up and be present. Mm. Because when you're experiencing those things, you're caught up in the past or the future. You're caught up in uh, in that mental process of thinking as opposed to being present in what's happening right now. And, And it's not about ignoring those things. It's about not being caught up in them and not experiencing them and reliving them and making them real in your mental life. It's about just bringing them back to now. Mm. So I think, yeah, I really understand that sort of concept of all being opportunities to be able to learn and reflect and have a different (laughs) experience and hopefully improve your experience. Mm. It's just, it's a a growth experience, isn't it? It's a long road. It's a journey and it it certainly isn't easy. uh, I certainly don't put myself on a pedestal and think I've got all the answers because I think... 
I'm just an ordinary person mm. trying to navigate a different path and um, the universe regularly gives me feedback <laughs> that, that's, that I'm definitely not there yet. <laughs> I think it's um, John Kabat-Zinn who says we need to fall awake. Yes. He's got this concept yeah. of we need to fall awake. Right. You know, and I, yes. what he's really talking about there is like what you've just referenced, waking up to yourself, mm, waking mm. up to who you really are, yes. what your potential really is. So I had a funny situation just yesterday. <laughs> it's not entirely related to this, but uh, but I just want to share this too. So uh, I run a mindfulness class about mindful eating, and it went really, really well. And I think some people who had not been exposed to that concept had a true mindful experience. In the what did you do time. in that class, if you don't mind me asking? Not at all. So um, we, I gave everybody a box of sultanas. Okay. Um, and they all had to take out one sultana, first of all, look at it and observe it and just see exactly what it looked like with all those ridges and the squishiness and all the stuff around it. And then they had to smell it and see what the smell, the aroma was like. And, and then they had to listen to it, squeeze it between their <laughs> fingers and roll it in their ear and see what it sounded like. And then finally to touch it, to have that tactile experience of using all their senses. <laughs> and, and so I'm sure he had lots of sticky fingers and that sort of stuff. And then eventually uh, I asked them to sort of take a moment and then put it in their mouth and, and try to entirely bring their attention just to the process of eating that one sultana, not quickly gulping it down, just see if they could just truly experience it. And then once they'd done that, I just said, let's do it one more time just to try it again. And then ask them to sort of describe the experience. And so the first person that responded talked about being totally absorbed in the process and at the exclusion of all the other thoughts, which was great. It was a really good experience. And then the second person uh, who then subsequently said to me, I really love this exercise. He really got a lot out of it. He said, when I put the sultana in my mouth, it felt big. And then I went, oh, right. And he said, not just, it didn't just feel big, it tasted big. Like a big flavor. That's right, a big flavor. Ah. Like a flavor explosion. And you really, I went, that's what we're after. And so then we really generated some good discussion in the room because there were sort of about 30 people in there, all willing to share their experience of what that was like and, and how powerful that was. And, of course, the metaphor being that at that one moment of uh, focused attention gave them a different experience to what they were used to normally, which was just a process of eating, not the experience of eating. And obviously we want to be able to broaden that out and demonstrate that everything in our lives is an opportunity to be truly mindful, focused in the present moment and having a different type of quality experience. And uh, it was a really powerful example that went better than I would have imagined it would have done. (laughs) Um, A lot of people in the room are technology people and they are the type of people, detail-oriented people that are logical, and I know I'm sort of stereotyping, but certainly the people I know in the room were largely there because they wanted to have a different experience rather than have a technical, you know, binary detail-oriented experience. They wanted to broaden their horizons in that way. So it was a really successful exercise. And the reason why I mentioned it was... So what was the funny uh, story that you were going to share as part of that? That's right. Yes. So afterwards... Sorry to have No, no, that's fine. No, that's what I was going to go on to. So at the end... Uh, I left and we packed up and it was around lunchtime and I thought, oh, I'm, I'm really hungry. I went and grabbed something to eat. And normally I would work through my lunch or quickly have something to eat and then get back to what I was doing. And I thought, no, today I need to do something different. And I wasn't feeling stressed or upset or anything like that. So I went out to the park with some food. I put in some headphones. And I just sat there and mindfully <laughs> ate my lunch. And I just watched what was going on around me. And the wind, it was a really windy day. 
and there were people everywhere, oh, not everywhere, but there were lots of people mm. around, and there was a lovely park. So I finished eating, and I just tried to have the experience only of eating. And the part that really I, I enjoyed most was I closed my eyes, and I just felt the wind on my face. And I think those simple experiences of truly being present, I wasn't meditating, I just wanted to have that experience that we obviously take for granted most of the time because we're too busy to be able to stop. Mm. It was a really lovely, quiet, poignant moment and a nice reminder of just what it's like to be mindful and that we can do it anywhere at any time. All it requires is our conscious effort to be present and actively focused in the present moment. Oh, that's a really lovely story, Scott. Thank you. I thought what you were going to say was you were you were there with your lunch and you know, and then like a seagull <laughs> swooped in and stole your sandwich that's or something. That's normally what would happen. <laughs> Actually, at one point, I did turn around thinking a bird was trying to steal my sandwich <laughs> when I had my eyes open, eyes closed, to beg your pardon, and I opened my eyes quickly. If you were looking from the outside, you would have thought there was something wrong with me because they really thought there was a bird there. There was no bird. But that, that's like such a great example how we can just take five minutes mm. out of our busy schedule, even if you are sitting at your desk eating your lunch. Yes. You can actually, you know, just turn your monitor off or, you know, just put your lid down on your laptop. Mm. And just even if you just take 20 seconds just to look at your lunch because we eat with our eyes True. First of all, you know, digestion starts in the mouth. So if we actually look at what we're eating, that's sending those signals to the brain that mm. produce the saliva glands. So we, yeah, we're right. actually triggering the digestive fire. Um, and even if you just, you know, the first five mouthfuls, you eat mindfully and slowly and you remember to chew and you just have a pause. You know, the concept we talk about sometimes when we're doing a meditation practice where we watch our breath and we might notice the inhalation and the exhalation and and then we might begin to notice, notice the start and the end, so the pause before we breathe in or the pause. Even if when you're eating you just, you know, you purposely put your fork down afterwards and you just notice that pause, um, I think that just makes a really big difference and can just, you know, practices like that, they don't take a lot of time. Mm. Most people eat three meals a day. You've you've got an opportunity to, like, practice this stuff real life. And, yes. And, and that's what people say to me, you know, what's the difference between meditation and mindfulness? And can I just do the mindfulness piece? You know, can I just be mindful all the time? And and there's certainly people like Ellen Langer, who that's her school of thought that don't need to meditate, just be mindful. But for me, the meditation practice that you do in the morning was if for me or whenever you do that, that dedicated five or ten minutes of quiet, focused time allows you to really be mindful throughout the day because those mindfulness practices where you are mindfully eating or you might be mindfully walking or noticing your breath a few times a day you're then just topping up Mm. uh, and and it kind of keeps you going I think sometimes it's quite difficult to be mindful if you haven't had that first practice that's grounded you Mm. Um, I totally agree but I'd say to people you know experiment with it it may work for you it it may not and um, you certainly in every action when you're washing up um, as one of my partner wonders why I love washing up so much Uh, A because it takes him so long and it drives me mad that it takes him (laughs) so long to wash up but it's a really good way for me to practice mindfulness because I'm one of those people that just want to wash up ferociously quickly to like <laughs> get it out of the way mm. to be 
into the next thing which is hopefully a relaxing thing and I think we all sometimes have when we have chores to do we're just mentally one step ahead of ourselves yes. aren't we we're like well when I've done this then I'll be able to relax do so, you know Thich Nhat Hanh's story about that no about I don't eating the peach so <laughs> only because you mentioned this it's, it's kind of a famous story mm. it's from uh, Pieces Every Step and it, that is a great book mm. that is a lovely gentle um, book with clarity so he talks about eating a peach Mm. and the process of eating a peach you, you get to eat the peach after you've done the washing up so when you're doing the washing up what are you doing during that time are you hurrying through so you can quickly eat the peach at the end are you just quickly doing the washing up mm. or are you having a true experience where you're feeling the suds and you're slowing down because his answer is basically if you're hurrying through the process of washing up, then you're going to be hurrying through the process of eating the peach, and you won't enjoy eating the peach. So take your time, mm-hmm. enjoy the process, just as exactly as you say, of the washing up, you're going to eventually get to eat the peach anyway, <laughs> so you might as well enjoy that process, feel the suds, the warmth, go through that process and experience mm-hmm. the entire thing, so that when you come to eat the peach, you get to enjoy that entire process mm-hmm. fully without feeling like you're hurrying, and I don't give it do it justice, but it's such a great way that he puts that sort of simple story that everything is about eating the peach ultimately, that we're all about trying to slow down and, and like you said, that art of pausing, mm. about trying to consciously slow ourselves down. And I think I always feel this is a, a metaphor both in the small things in our life and in the larger context. And, in fact, I've been thinking a lot recently also about the concept of Detachment, and I, I've decided to rename it as something different, which is more about um, not investing or um, not um, not having, not seeing every situation as being filled with power and emotion. Mm. Rather than rather than investing everyone with something a sense of importance, trying to actively step away and put a little bit of distance there, not to be dispassionate but rather to not be invested in such a way that you feel that every situation, everything that goes right and everything goes wrong is so powerful and life-changing because the reality is very few of those things really are. Most of them, the little things that happen day-to-day are small. I know I've gone off on the tangent, but, (laughs) but I found that really powerful for me. So I don't feel like I'm reacting to every single thing that goes wrong or every single thing that goes right. I'm trying to allow it to be... And just when it when it feels overwhelming and exciting and wonderful, mm. it's probably truly is something that's amazingly overwhelming, yeah. exciting and wonderful. Mm. So anyway, I digress. No, I, I love that you fact that you've digressed because I'm gonna jump in there and talk about something that I read in Cheryl Sandberg's book. But just going back to the washing up, so yes. it, I'm quite ritualistic about it now when I wash up. Yeah. I, I actually sort of secretly get a little bit like I look forward to it because for me there's a whole you know, if you get some nice washing up liquid that you like the aroma of, you can put the plug in the sink, you can watch the water fill up, you know, you can be very graceful and elegant as you wash mm. up. And then, you know, it, for me, I always used to sort of like be in a hurry to try and put the dishes away. But, you know, it, it's, it's a sort of very methodical process, yes, washing yes. up or drying up, mm. even putting washing out, even cleaning your teeth. There's so many opportunities in life to practice mindfulness you, you just choose some just choose two or three and just yes. just stick with them each day but mm. going back to what you were talking about um around you know not not in not investing yes. all the time 
Um, one of the challenges I'm, I'm trying next week, and this might be interesting because I'm catching up with you next week for a few days uh, yes. when we go to the Mindful Leadership Forum, yes. is um, Cheryl Sandberg talks about in her book around the difference between introverted and extroverted people and that, you know, in a meeting, introverted people generally don't speak up enough um, because they feel very uncomfortable you know, putting themselves out there and putting their, their opinion forward. So if they're in a meeting and they're, they're talking a little bit too much, they'll feel very, very uncomfortable because they'll feel like they, they're saying too much. Mm. And then conversely, sort of extroverted people just can't stop talking. And mm. I think I'm in that. I'm not, I wouldn't <laughs> say I'm extroverted in all aspects of life, but I can certainly be quite opinionated. And, and so she sets like a challenge in her book, and it was a challenge she did, which was basically not to give her opinion on anything for mm. a week unless someone asked her. So um, I'm going to start this tomorrow, this wow. challenge, and then maybe next week we can check in with how I go. And I think it's going to be really, really tough for me because I do, I guess, like to be helpful. And I, you know, I'm someone that likes a good good chat and a bit of banter. And I'm, I guess I'm always jumping in and giving people my advice and opinion and, and maybe that can be really annoying so mm. I'm, I'm actually going to try and pull back for a whole week and unless actually someone specifically asks me for my opinion I'm not going to give it and I'm a little bit nervous about this challenge already but um, it's the same concept isn't it you know choosing the situations you're going to invest in and, mm. and where you put your energy yes and uh, so that is a great challenge. I like that challenge. Yes. Well, I'll let you know how I go, and then maybe you can uh, undertake it as I well. I might just do that, yes. I'll see how you go first. Okay. Oh, we're not very similar in that way. All right. Well, thank you so much. It's been lovely talking to you today, Scott. So we might wrap up for today, hey? Yes. So we would urge you all to visit our website, compassionclub.com.au. If you want to leave a rating on the iTunes store about our podcast, we'd appreciate that. You can put some star ratings in there. Five stars is okay by us. But put some comments. We'd like to honestly know what you think. Yeah, and if you want to get in touch to us, in, in touch with us, um, send us an email. We'd love to hear from you. Um, so thanks ever so much for listening. Until next time. Thanks, Sam. <laughs>